Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 of 17. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ might be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for, what, for doing what is good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. There's one thing that everyone in this room has in common, every single one of us. A lot of differences. Something we share is that we all have a story. Every person. And I've enjoyed this series partly because I've got to hear some of your stories, and I love seeing how beautifully unique and yet glorious every one of us is because of the story God's writing in you. In week one of this series, we explored the fact that even though you have a story, the truth and reality is, is that God is weaving a story through your life. It's his story in you, and we're a part of his grand story. We explored how the Bible can actually tell us our story and how we came to faith. And we also explored how our stories can bring him glory and honor. That was week one. Week two, we unpacked how to develop your story. And we looked at Paul and his example in Acts 22. And he showed us that we can tell our story by starting at the beginning, our life before Christ, and then showing how Christ found us and brought us to salvation and then telling what Christ has done to change our life moving forward. That was week two. So that brings us to the question today in our series. All right, we've, we've seen God's story in our story. We've developed it and seen an example in scripture, but now how do we go about actually sharing our story with others, especially in a hostile world? Uh, if you've been journeying with us, you remember our last series in 1 Thessalonians? We explored that having faith in a hostile world in the first century or today is a commonality we have with the writers of the New Testament. It's a challenge. It's increasingly hostile, isn't it? Maybe you've experienced some of that hostility when you've tried to share a part of your story of faith. Maybe you've uh, come up to a moment, an opportunity, and you weren't sure what to say. Or maybe even you felt the little prick of the Holy Spirit who was saying, right now I want you to testify to what I've done in your life to this neighbor. And you felt the moment and it was there and out of fear, you just let it pass. Oh, there'll be another shot to share. Have you ever been there? I have. I know what that feels like. Maybe you've tried to share, but you've been afraid of the questions or the criticisms that you might receive as a Christian. It's not popular in some cultures, and especially ours, to be a Christian. 
There's plenty of opportunities in life for us to share our testimonies. And testimonies come in a variety of shapes and sizes. You might have a 90-minute testimony over a low, slong, delicious meal at your dining room table with a neighbor. Or you might have a nine-minute testimony as you hop into the Uber and you're driving to the airport. Or you might even have a 90-second testimony once the elevator doors close and you got something to share, to testify. Right there, 90 seconds, what God's doing in your life today. There's moments all over the place, but it's challenging, isn't it, to know how to share your story in such a hostile world. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, could relate. In fact, he wrote a letter to a group of Christians who the context is they're discouraged. They're discouraged that following Jesus has been met with such hostility and persecution. And in fact, some of them have the opportunity to open their mouths and they're afraid. And so Peter writes a letter to a group of Christians encouraging them and challenging them in how they can share their faith. So we're brief today, but I've got three principles to draw out from Peter in how we should share our faith. Here's where we're going. I'll say it at the start. How do we share our faith with others? First, be ready. Second, be respectful. And finally, be real. Be ready, respectful, and real. Open your Bibles with me. Make sure you're looking in the text. You can see it there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. See it with me. But in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord is holy. This is the governing aim, the big goal of everything that he is going to share. Do you want to make much of Jesus? You want to honor him as he is actually holy? You want to represent him well? And then he's going to unpack it with three principles. In your hearts, honor him. How are you going to do that? Step one, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason. That's, that's logos, word, spoken. A reason for the hope that is in you. First principle Peter unpacks, if we want to share our faith with others, we must always be prepared. Be ready. What does it mean to be prepared? I mean, practically, what does that actually look like? I wonder if Peter himself thought he was prepared to speak and give a defense for the reason he followed Jesus on the night that Jesus was betrayed. In fact, I'm confident that he really did think he was prepared. Do you remember this interaction? Peter, the guy who wrote these words, is standing before Jesus and there is a group, a riot, that's coming towards them with weapons. And he tells Jesus with all his passion, this is so Peter, so Peter, he's on brand. <laughs> he, he screams out, Jesus, I would never deny you, ever. I'll follow you to the death. And Jesus, in love, tells Peter, oh Peter, before the rooster even crows, you'll deny me three times. 
You see, Peter thought he was prepared. I'm sure he thought he was prepared. I'm ready to die for you. But perhaps, maybe, maybe Peter wasn't as prepared as he had thought. I wonder if Peter had actually thought through prayerfully, what would I say if someone asked me, why do you follow Jesus? Have you considered that question? What would you say? What would you say at King Supers when you're caught off guard, you're not quite ready, you're trying to put your groceries away, they don't have bags anymore, do you wanna pay 10 cents for the bags or not, okay? And then you're thinking about that and someone says, hey, hey, are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? I've been, I've been exploring faith. Would you be ready? Peter thought he was ready. And in the moment, though he thought he was prepared, he was caught off guard and a 12-year-old asked him if he follows Jesus. And he denied that he even knew him. Will you be prepared when the moment arises? Whether it's at the dining table or in the Uber or in the elevator. Peter now, after that failure, is recommissioned by Jesus saying, you're gonna be the leader of the church. There's grace. And now he writes, as someone who failed, he writes, don't do what I did. Be prepared always to speak, to give a defense, a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. So what does it mean then? What does he mean to be prepared? Should we memorize a 20-minute sermon, not look at your notes, and be ready with the card in your back pocket at King Supers? Oh, this is the moment. Hold on one sec. Let me unfold this, okay? I've prepared a handwritten testimony of what God's done. No, I, I don't think that's what Peter means, and, and here's why. If I cross-reference over to Jesus, Jesus himself talks about how we should be prepared to share our faith, and he balances preparation with trusting in God. This comes out of Matthew. Take a look at the screen. I've got the cross-reference up here. In Matthew, Jesus says this, when they deliver you over, this is the same context, suffering in a hostile world, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. So which is it? Be prepared or just wait for the words to come? Peter or Jesus? I think there's some balance happening here. Jesus isn't saying, go in blind. He's saying, no, with your preparation, then in the moment, trust me to give you the precise words you will need to share. I think being prepared to share your testimony is, is a little bit like an oral examination. I had to go through one of those, and, and, and maybe you've gone through graduate school, or you, you had to defend a, a thesis, a PhD. At the, at the end of seminary, when you wanna get ordained, you gotta go before a board of people. And here's the thing about this test. You don't know what questions they're going to ask you. You really don't. You just have to sit for a couple hours in front of people who are smarter than you and let them just berate you with questions. And so do I go with Jesus? And I say, you know what? The MDiv oral exam is coming up. I'd like to be ordained. I'm just gonna trust Jesus on this one. He'll give me the words full of faith. Not quite. No, I need a little bit of Peter too. <laughs> you see, 
You see, I needed to study. I needed to know content so well. I needed to press it into my soul that any question from any angle, from any person that would come at me, I'd have a reason, a defense for the hope that's in me. And I think in, a, in some ways, this is what Peter is saying, the kind of preparation. It's like preparing for a thesis defense or an oral examination. You know the content of your story and what Christ has done in you so well. You've rehearsed it in your soul. You've meditated upon the grace that God poured out on you, how he rescued you from your sin and blindness and opened your eyes to see. It's so in you that the moment anybody asks, whether at King Supers or in the Uber, you're ready. You're ready. I think in a sense, it's an illustration, this is what Peter means. Always be prepared. How do we share our faith with others? First, be ready. Are you ready? Are you prepared at any moment? Second, Peter says, not only be prepared, but be respectful, be respectful. See it in the text with me. He continues in the second half of verse 15. In your hearts, remember our goal is to honor Christ. How do I do that? One of the ways I honor Christ is being ready to testify, not being caught off guard, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that I have in me, yet qualification, Remember, we're answering how to share your faith. And he gives some good advice. Yet, when you share, do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. If, if you just look up those words a little bit and see how they're used in some other contexts, that word gentleness in other parts of the New Testament is translated humility or meekness. It's a posture of heart and mind that thinks highly of those in front of you. And then he says, with respect. That's actually the exact same word, fear, as we see in the earlier sentence, just used in a different way. He said, don't be afraid when you're gonna share your testimony, but be afraid. <laughs> Have some healthy fear, a respect for the person who's standing before you because God made them. They're made in his image, and they're valuable and God cares for them, and Jesus died for the person you're speaking to. When you share, be respectful. What's your posture towards people that are far from God? If you could peel back your soul and see your attitude towards them, what would you see? I mean, honestly, think about people who are really different than you. Really different. They have a different worldview. They see things differently. They have different values than you. They vote differently than you. They have yard signs that are different than your yard signs. Do you respect them? What's your posture towards them? You see, Peter instructs, he says, yes, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, but when you approach those people, when you open your mouth and you logos, you speak a word, what's the content of your heart as you do it? Because Peter says, that's how you share. 
with gentleness and respect. I wonder what Jesus had going on in his heart and attitude as he met people who were far from God. Now, I can't quite peel back and see his inner thoughts all the time, but I do read the Gospels and I see the fruit of a heart that loved people. I see a Jesus who is a holy rabbi stumble upon a crowd about to stone a prostitute, lowest of low. And I see Jesus look at the crowd and say, anybody here who doesn't have sin, you go ahead and be the first to throw the stone. And as the crowd leaves, he bends down to a prostitute, this holy rabbi, and he says, come child. Anyone here to condemn you? Go and sin no more. Oh, he speaks truth. Go and sin no more. But the posture of his heart is love. That's respect for a, a daughter made in the image of God. What's your attitude towards people that are far from God? How are you going to share a testimony? How would you share your story? Peter says, first, always be ready, and second, always be respectful. Respectful. And finally, he gives one more principle. And Peter says, be real. Be real. See it in the text with me. He's alliterating, so you gotta, you gotta make sure it's actually in the text here, okay? It's a preacher. Verse 16. Having a good conscience, this is a mind that's not at war with itself. There's peace in the mind, a good conscience. I don't feel bad. There's no hypocrisy in my head. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile, this is the key, be real, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You know what the best way to have a bad conscience when you're sharing the story of your faith is to be a hypocrite. Having a good conscience so that when you're slandered and reviled, your good behavior in Christ would put them to shame. Don't, don't you see, wouldn't it be so terrible to complete step one. You've got the MDiv oral exam down. You've prepared well to share your story. And you've even got the right heart and attitude towards the person standing in front of you. You love them. You have genuine respect for them. But then you get here, and the testimony of your words does not match the testimony of your life. Oh! And you tripped at the finish line. You see, how do we share our faith with others, our lives, our good behavior in Christ? The fruit, I love that phrase, in Christ, because it's not just good behavior. It's the behavior that comes out of being in Christ is evident. So that as your testimony comes out of your mouth, the testimony of your behavior matches. And then you've got a clear conscience. You see, Peter says, I, I want your life to be a testimony that matches the words that you share with others. He says it elsewhere, many places, because I've, I'm short on time, we'll go to one. First Peter 
First Peter 2.12. Here's where Peter says it again. He says this, keep your conduct, good behavior, among the Gentiles, Gentiles would be another word for people far from God. So keep your conduct, conduct among people who are far from God honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Do you have a life that if you were to speak of Christ, it would silence critics? Oh, I just hate the church and all that religion and what's going on in those buildings, but what you're saying, I really disagree with, but your life, I got nothing to say. I can't criticize your life because you, you seem to love people. What would good behavior consist of? Plenty of places to find that in the New Testament, but let's just stay with Peter. Stay in the context of this letter. I wanna read a list of good conduct and ask some questions. This is a self-eval moment of what your testimony of your life is like and if it matches the testimony of your words. First Peter 4, seven through 10. So you're, you don't even have to turn the page. Four, seven through 10. Some of you did, sorry. We have different versions of Bibles. Very next chapter, four, seven through 10. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, one, be self-controlled. Is your life, as you share your story with others, controlled? Do you have control of self? Or is your anger out of control? It's just, huh, I go off the handle. Or is your eating out of control? I just can't get a handle of this. Or are your finances out of control? You're spending. I just, huh, just gotta buy something to medicate how I feel. Peter says, what, what's good behavior? What's a life of works in Christ? It's one, self-controlled. This is just the start of the list. He keeps going, be sober-minded. This is clear-minded and a little bit of a nudge towards alcohol. He's like, don't have a drunk brain. Think clearly. Stay sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That's two. Three, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Doesn't that support be real? Like, let your love be genuine, earnest, sincere, since love covers a multitude of sins. Do you genuinely love people? Do, would people say that about you? And then when you speak a testimony of what Christ has done, it matches. Oh, they speak about that Jesus who claimed to be love, and, and he's like that too. Your good conduct that no one may criticize you. He keeps going. Verse nine, here's another. Show hospitality to one another. Are you available to people? Are you welcoming to them? Are people a nuisance in your busy life? Are you showing hospitality to them? Even worse, oh, this one. Zach, without grumbling. Oh. Oh. 
Are you a negative Nancy who's a complainer all the time? Just grumble, grumble, grumble. Is that how you're known in the dorm? That kid just goes off about physics. Physics is hard, physics this, this professor won't help me. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Do your neighbors know you as that? He keeps going. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Do you have a gift, a skill from God that he's given you that you want to use to bless other people, to serve them, or are you a person who's known for serving yourself? This is just 1 Peter 4. It's a good list. Does the testimony of your life match the testimony of your words? If not, if not, and man, I'm on this list. Grumble. Have I and you allowed the beauty of the love and grace of our Lord and Savior melt us to the degree that we put sin to death and begin walking in obedience to him, to the degree that we're melted by this great gospel is the degree by which we become sanctified and grow in holiness in our conduct. Do you know this Savior? Have you allowed his his grace to melt you, to bring good conviction that your testimony might match? Peter says, you wanna share your faith with others? Be ready be respectful, and be real. Be ready, be respectful, and be real. In this series, we've had the opportunity to hear a variety of testimonies, and I want at this time invite up a special guest whom you've not met, Wes Moore. Would you come on up? Let's hear a story here. Wes, it's been a little while. Thank you. Now, for those of you that aren't sure who this person is, <laughs> this is Wes Moore. He's one of our pastors. And Wes, you've just come off of a sabbatical, a little breakaway. Yeah. I shared earlier, there's a lot of different kinds of testimonies. Yep. There's the, uh, there's the Uber ride testimony. Mm-hmm. There's the elevator ride. Mm-hmm. And they come in different shapes and sizes. But what kind of story would you like to share today? Yeah. Well... I'm going to share the 120 minute. It's joking. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Oh. You know, there's, we, we've gotten to hear a couple of stories as we last few weeks uh, from Jackie, uh, from Ross, uh, yeah. stories of how Jesus comes and, and rescues us and, and the story of us coming to faith and being saved. There's also another kind of story that's good for us to share that we need to be ready to share, and that is how we grow more and more dependent on Jesus, how God is working in our lives day by day to give us fresh hope out of, out of the, the, the death of our sin. And um, I heard a pastor this summer say that the depth of the community of a church can be measured by how willing we are to confess to each other 
hmm. and, and to share about the hope that we have, even as, as God is rescuing us from the sin that we may still struggle with. And so today, I want to share the hope of what God's been doing recently in my life. That's, that's the kind of testimony I'd like to share today, how Jesus, through, um, through sabbatical, has drawn me to be more and more dependent upon him. Yeah, that's really good. So you had the sabbatical. Yeah. So tell us a little bit going into that. What was some of your planning? Yeah. You know, we, uh, first of all, my family and I were so, so grateful to the church, to all of you, to the elders, to so many people for the gift of sabbatical. Thank you for sending us with kind notes of encouragement and your prayers that were felt I can't express our gratitude enough. It was such a sweet gift. Um, we appreciate the elders' leadership in making sabbatical about rest strategically because it allowed us to make some, some plans to press into rest and refreshment in, for me, in some of the primary realms of, of relationship. As a, for me, personally, as a child of God and who I am just before him not as a pastor or a husband or a dad, but who I am before God as his child. Um, yeah. Allowed me to press in, be refreshed in my relationship to Bonnie, as my wife, and us together as a family. And so uh, we planned to be real intentional and, and focused in to be present to those realms throughout this summer um, through a variety of plans. Nice. That's great. Yeah. And what would you do? Because that's a lofty goal. <laughs> so how would you make that happen? You know yeah. Strategies for that? Yeah, you know, in the big picture, we, Dallas Willard, who's a, a famous scholar and pastor and author, he's, he described Jesus famously as being unhurried. And so our aim was to plan time to be unhurried with him uh, individually and together and as a family. And so um, I took day to day steps to try to be unhurried. We planned most of our mornings to be uh, time, the time that was slow in the Word of God and in prayer. And, you know, I, I joined the youth group reading plan, reading through the Gospels, and just tried to immerse myself in the life of Jesus, my nice. Savior, who loves me. And um, so we, we practiced this. I, I've logged out of social media. You haven't seen me on social media. I've had zero social media contact. I may never go back. I don't know. I <laughs> rearranged the icons of my phone so I could be present. I, I where my finger was used to opening my phone, and every time I opened it, hitting the email button to see the email that was coming in. Instead, I got a camera so I could be present to what was happening in front of me. And Wait, a, like a camera? Yeah, yeah, on my phone, yeah. yeah. Oh, like, it the, was like, like, like got the got the, the camera icon so that I could take pictures of what was happening, you know, what was in front of us. Um, I, I tried to not touch my phone as much as I could yeah. and made a personal goal to say yes when my kids asked for time with me. Because I feel like I'm mm -hmm. always saying no because I'm busy. I got a thing. And our Heavenly Father loves us. He, he wants time with us. He, he doesn't say no to us. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to reflect that with my kids. So we made, Bonnie and I together made kind of specific plans, three big specific plans to try to engage in those three realms. And so she very graciously sent me off as she served in VBS on a solo camping trip so I could just soak with the Lord and just who I am as his child. We spent some time at a wilderness retreat center in Idaho, just the two of us, so that we could just be refreshed in our marriage before the Lord together. Uh, and then we, we were able, just by the, the great generosity of friends and family and, and 
airline miles saved up for a long time to take our family on a special trip, explore a new place together. We, we just felt so grateful for all these things. Um, yeah, we're so grateful. Yeah, so you've got the plan. <laughs> you've got the strategies. You didn't wing this. Yeah. You were you're pretty <laughs> intentional about not letting things distract uh-huh. you. Yeah. How did it go? You know, a neighbor of mine at our block party last weekend asked me that. Yeah? He said, Wes, he said, you, you've been on sabbatical. I've seen it in your front porch. Um, was it easy or hard? And I, I was honest with him. Like, it, it started rough. Yeah. And it's kind of, it, it's embarrassing to share this, but I, my last day in the office was a Monday. I was tying up loose ends and trying to make sure that, you know, things were covered and I'd sent that email and done this thing. Things, and done, like you know, 10,000 things. Yeah, all, yeah. yeah. I saw a, the a bunch Excel of things. sheet. Yeah. I know, I know. You know, I'm so important. I need all these things to be done before I go. And the day started really well, but um, I tanked. <laughs> yeah. My last hours in the office, um, like, like I... I, I, I kind of pride myself on being steadfast and um, my, my heart raced and I was consumed with like a, a, a physical manifestation of fear and anxiety. Like I still kind of like get a little weird thinking about it. Like I tanked really hard mm-hmm. as the reality of stepping away for an extended period began to sink in. And I wrote this out because I knew I'd, I'd lose the words. Um, I just experienced this stress and worry and fear that I hadn't experienced before. I, I'm somebody, I love to feel needed. Mm-hmm. I, I long to serve people. And that's, that's not bad. That's good. I think it comes from Jesus. But I long to serve people and to, to kind of like get to be a little bit of a savior and uh, I, I tend to be a bit of a people pleaser and, and like the idea of sabbatical is beautiful and it's a sweet gift and it was really disorienting to step into the reality of actually walking away from these things that I turned to to feel good about myself. Mm. Um, and I had this physical man- anxiety that was manifested like I couldn't control it. It gave me a whole new respect for people that I know have, have traveled through that and um, caught me by surprise. Um, it, it, was, it was scary. It, it's embarrassing, honestly. Like, like, like it, Craig saw me in the midst. It, it was, it, I was embarrassed. <laughs> um, I didn't know where it was coming from. I felt humbled. And God was so good to meet me in that place. He was so good to meet me there. He, I, I, was, just, I was broken in. And I stepped into the plans I had for sabbatical. Hmm. That five-day solo trip, camping, he met me in unhurried time, day by day, being with him. I was reading, but I've got, I read some books. There's a picture of some books you can put up there. Just some stuff that was helping to shape my heart. And... I was with Jesus in prayer and in scripture in my life. It began to slow down and there was space for me to actually listen to, to the Lord in his word instead of, you know, I wasn't planning a message. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't thinking about other people. I was, I was, I needed God's heart. I needed to be rescued in that moment. Um, 
Bonnie and I went to this retreat center, and this place is self-sufficient. It's on the banks of the Salmon River. It's in the wilderness. You can't drive there. It's like a they've been self-sufficient for 100 years. And we got to see Jim, the caretaker, took us to this spot. If you want to go to the next picture, this is, they get their power from a stream and they get their water from this stream. And this is a picture, you can see the stream in the background of this picture, and it's moving fast, it's rolling downhill. And he explained to us that they, they, they pull the water through a grate and then into this big wooden box. And it's like there's a path where the water follows inside that box. And as the water is slow, and Bonnie can explain this so much better than me. You should ask her later. The water is slowed down, and, and, and the stuff that is being carried by the water starts to drop down. Hmm. The impurities fall out. And then what they take off the top is purified water. It's good to drink. Uh-huh. And that they've... That, that meets all their needs. And, and that was sort of this picture of what God did as I began to slow down. Is I, I was able to see the, the, like the sin that I thought wasn't a big deal that I covered over with you know, a veneer of, of my own goodness and achievement. And yeah, and all activity. This, and, yeah, yep. yeah. I can, I can be so busy and feel so important in my busyness. And... Um, I was able to see through that prayerful processing as, as that stuff began to settle out that I had allowed fear and anxiety that was actually driven by deep pride and this really kind of dark, like, like self-sufficiency and an inflated sense of self-importance. And it was this blind spot that God revealed that day. Um, mm-hmm. I confess this to Craig. He said, yeah, pride has a thousand faces. And for me, it looks pretty good. <laughs> From the outside, but yeah. I, I could not escape the, the, that the wages of my sin is death, and that my pride was killing me, and I came face to face with it on that last day in the office. Mm. Um, but going away on sabbatical meant letting go of this daily satisfaction that I, I was getting out of out of accomplishing stuff and being useful to people. My prideful heart just, like, I had to confront the fact that it it couldn't handle the idea that by leaving for sabbatical, I was going to be letting people down and I wouldn't be needed anymore for these Mm. weeks that I was gone. It was like, well, who am I if I'm not not that? If I'm not helpful to people, if I'm not useful to people, who am I? Um, You know, even though I've been saved for a long time, it's been years. The Lord met me and saved me. I, I had to come face to face with the ugliness of my pride and my self-sufficiency, my sinful tendencies. And when I slowed down enough, I could, I could finally see. I could finally see just how ugly it was. Hmm. But um, Psalm 63 says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And Jesus, he invited me to embrace that kind of love. He invited me to release my dependence on my self-sufficiency and a work ethic and a desire to accomplish things all the stuff that had brought me to this pretty dark, ugly place. 
Um, my, my pride had kind of like started like hardening my heart to the grace of God. Hmm. Um, where where I, 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 I felt like somehow I deserved his love. Like I could be a good enough pastor and a good enough dad and a good enough husband that I would deserve God's love. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to confess that. Um, Matt, Jesus teaches, uh, there's a spiritual principle in Matthew 19 that it, hardened hearts are what destroy relationships. Marriages, relationships between siblings and parents and kids, and um, you know, hardened hearts destroy our relationship to God. Hmm. And my heart, the soil of my heart was becoming hard, and the grace of God, um, <laughs> it wasn't taking root there, but God was working on that soil. He was turning that soil. He was creating a place where I could again embrace the grace of God and abide in Jesus. And he could hear his voice in a fresh way. And, and it was, he, he said to me, he said, Wes, you, you are not what you do. You are not what you accomplish. You are not your job or the things that, that you do. You're mine. You belong to me. I did everything so that you could belong in my family. And I don't know. It, yeah. I told you guys at staff, like, I know I was saved a long time ago, but I felt like I got saved again. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the grace of God embracing me as his son because of nothing I could do. It was so good. Hmm. It was so good. You know, sometimes the, the best things you learn are the things that you learn again, and I've, I've had to write papers on the grace of God. I have a master's degree that I study that grace, and I got to touch it and hold it and slow down long enough to let it find its way into a place in my soul that, that had missed it, that had grown hard. Yeah. Um, I think um, in that fresh taste of grace... I'm relearning that for my faith to grow, I have to embrace the limits that God has placed on me. I have to embrace the fact that he designed me to need to slow down and rest and, and, and let him speak to me. Um, I can appreciate in a new way that God's created all of us for these healthy rhythms of work and rest and, um, and, and, and that we need to embrace those. His design will keep the soil of our hearts from becoming hardened by our own sin or our own self-sufficiency and, and, and just the, 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 the busyness of our life that keep, keeps us from slowing down long enough to see what, what we're carrying in, in as that water flows. And so my family and I, we, we, we're taking steps now to try to arrange our lives so that we can actually embrace his design so that we can have unhurried time with him on a daily and a weekly basis so that our hearts don't grow hardened to the grace of belonging to Jesus. Yeah, it's beautiful. He met me in my pride and my sin, my self-sufficiency, my anxiety, my fear, and he gave me a kind of hope that, uh, that was fresh and new and it, it, it makes my heart sing that I know I can depend on Jesus yeah. day in, 
and day out. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's amazing. God's writing a story in all of our lives, and believe it or not, he can actually write stories in pastors' lives. They're real people um, who can really experience the grace of God afresh. And thank you for sharing your testimony. This, you're testifying to something you've experienced and witnessed recently that brings glory and honor to Christ. And I'll testify as a witness to the witness stand. We spend a little bit of time together occasionally. <laughs> and I've seen you before and after sabbatical, and I've seen and witnessed a change. I've seen a tenderness in you that's new. And when you talk about that soil, it's evident. Um, you didn't have to use an illustration. I could see a tenderness in you that's fresh. So let's, let's pray for you and just thank God, praise him for what he's doing in your life. Um, let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, stand here with Wes and intercede on his behalf, I'm asking for you to complete the work that you have begun on this time of rest and sabbatical. Continue it, Lord. Develop it further that he would experience deeper and fresh um, tastes of your grace that would continue to mold him and shape him um, into the image of your son. And we praise you now, God. We give you credit and glory that you are a God who meets us in our resting, that you're a God who does not need us to work, and yet allows us to partner with you in the work that you're doing for the kingdom. And so I pray this over Wes and Bonnie and all the kids, the whole family, Lord. Uh, would they be renewed in their souls to their core, knowing and walking in fresh grace that you've provided for them. Lord, let them rejoice in their salvation. And we give you praise for all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.